Welcome to the Value Driven Brand Podcast, where you'll learn insights on how to communicate with authenticity, deliver genuine value, and create a memorable experience across your entire customer journey, helping your business become the sought-after leader in your industry. I'm your host, Aileen Day. Now, on to the show. G'day everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Value Driven Brand Podcast. I am your host Aileen Day and today I am joined with an absolute technology business whiz superstar, David Fradden, joining us from the US. Hello David, thank you so much for coming in live today. How are you? Doing good and thank you very much for putting up with me. Oh, no, it is always my pleasure. And you'll understand why it is my pleasure when I tell you what it is that David does in business. Now, let me just give you some insight into the man himself. David was classically trained as a HP product manager and then recruited by Apple to bring the first hard disk drive on a PC to the market and later became the Apple business unit manager literally at the same level as Mr. Steve Jobs. Now, that in itself is impressive, and I remember way back when. (laughs) So that is absolutely, uh, my hat goes off to you. I feel very privileged to speak to the person that essentially changed computing for the masses. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We we had no idea what we were doing at the time, though. All that. That that helps all of us who feel the same way about much of what we do every day. <laughs> now, also, after he went and uh, changed the way we did computing in our everyday lives, uh, David also went and became an author, and he wrote a book called Building Insanely Great Products. And you can tell that he is the man in the know when you've got a background and a career like <coughs> had so it's uh called building up oh, there you go building insanely great products organizing and managing insanely great products is another book that is written and they're all published by wiley now we've also got successful product design and management this man knows his stuff when it comes to creating great products oh now that looks more like a bible for tech gods just an 800-page pamphlet. Oh, yeah, just a pamphlet. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> if you're not watching the video and you're listening, um, David's just pulled out a book that's about the size of my head. So <laughs> it's thick. <laughs> As my son would say, that's a thick boy. So you can absolutely see that we are talking to a expert at uh, large here today. And so it is my pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, we're so grateful that we're going to get to learn from you all the insights that you know about creating a value-driven brand. But before we do that, I am fascinated, always fascinated with how people got to be where they are today. How did you get to be the guy next to Steve Jobs? What what creates that? Well, in the immortal words of uh, Three Modine, who is the son of uh, one of the Beverly Hillbillies, which used to be a television show. Yes. Uh, uh, I was found under a cabbage leaf in uh, Detroit, Michigan. 
uh, went to Cass Technical High School, which was for the, the best and the brightest, and then uh, got into University of Michigan, which at the time was one of the 10 best uh, colleges in the world in uh, aerospace engineering. Oh, wow. Yeah. After about three weeks, I was bored to death and surprised that the, uh, uh, the university did not have a flying club. Uh, so I started the University of Michigan Flyers. And four years later, when I graduated, we had uh, about 250 members. Uh, we were worth about $25 million, had about 25 aircraft. And uh, the club exists today because one of the things we did when we started it, we started it with a mission statement, a vision, and with values, which are also keys to not only a successful product, but are also keys to a brand. And a brand is nothing more than the promise of the product or the promise of the company. So after the first year of that, my aerospace engineering professor noticed that I knew how to manage and organize. So he asked me if I was interested in starting a national student organization in support of an American supersonic transport. Uh, which would enable us to fly from California, where I am now in Silicon Valley, to you in Melbourne uh, at about a third the time that it takes today. Wow. Uh, so by the time I graduated, by the time I was into my sophomore year, I had uh, organized about uh, 42 chapters on campuses around the United States, about 15,000 members, and lobbied Congress to build the SST, uh, for which we were not successful. But uh, through that, uh, there was a feeling in uh, the Nixon administration and others that the uh, anti-SST movement was primarily an anti-technology movement, mm -hmm. when in reality, technology is nothing more than the organization of knowledge for practical purposes. It was not the, pro the cause of the environmental problems that we were having then and we continue to have now. It was probably the solution. So we changed the, 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 the student organization's name from Fly America's SST to uh, Friends of America Supporting Science and Technology and lobbied Congress for uh, uh, third, uh, uh, clean fuels, solar, wind, geothermal, and so forth. And uh, we're not very successful on that, even after organizing the first National Energy Youth Conference in uh, Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And the second thing we lobbied Congress for was to build the American Space Shuttle. And we were a lot more successful on helping get that implemented. Wow. So oh, my Goodness. From there, I moved the uh, company for, or the nonprofit association from Ann Arbor to Washington, D.C., continued that effort for several years, and then decided I couldn't pretend I was a student anymore and uh, was recruited to uh, be the executive vice president of the Environmental Balance Association of Minnesota, funded by labor, agriculture, and businesses. It was on the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's uh, Committee on the Environment, uh, the American Association for Advancement of Sciences Youth Council, uh, and so forth, and uh, was one of the early pioneers of this notion of mediating disputes over energy, environment, and the economy, as opposed to litigating them. Because those conflicts are mediatable uh, and best resolved through mediation as opposed to litigation, which is yes, no, guilty, not guilty. Mm. Uh, and then that served to be background served to be very useful for me later when I joined Hewlett Packard in uh, Palo Alto, California in their corporate PR department. I brought word processing to the PR department, which is the only department of the company at the time that knew how to type. Uh, 
And that enabled me to move horizontally into product management at HP and then onto Apple, as, as you described. And mediation is one of the most important things that a product manager does, or I actually prefer to call them a product success manager, because mm-hmm. that better explains exactly what they do. So the mission that I'm on now in my advanced age is uh, about 35 to 40% of all new products that are developed each year fail in the marketplace. And worldwide, uh, 2014 figures uh, suggest the world was spending about $1.5 trillion in research and development for new products. So that product failure rate represents about a 500 to a trillion dollar waste of resources each year. And if there's anything I could do to help reduce that waste by talking about the keys to product success and training people to uh, follow those keys, then that will lead to uh, less wasted resources and a better environment and better resources for people. Yeah, absolutely. I can only, you know, that's some insane numbers, just the waste alone, let alone the amount of money that's going into uh, research and development, the waste alone, what you could do with that around the world. Yeah. That is phenomenal. If the, if anyone ever comes to me and says there's no money left, I'll be like, lies, lies, lies. <laughs> Plenty of money just being wasted. And that's the definition of pollution, by the way, is a resource in the wrong place, maybe over-concentrated or over-dispersed. Yes. The solution to the environmental issues is the, the management of those resources. Yeah, absolutely. So in uh, your extensive experience and wisdom and uh, all of those years of I guess, lobbying people to try and do things better. Um, We know that you have become the uh, keen observer of what it takes to create not just a value-driven brand, but a value-driven product. And I think, you know, I absolutely agree with what you're saying around the fact that uh, there's just such a, a, like, I can't fathom how many products come out onto the market and fail. Like, how does that even become a thing in, in this day and age? You know, it's quite uh, upsetting. And you think, what are they doing with well, all that money? One or more of the five key components, uh, which spells the word spice, and hence the name of my company, Spice Catalyst. And uh, the S stands for strategy. You need to have a product market strategy, which involves understanding what it is that your customer wants to do. Mm. And as uh, Steve Jobs said, uh, you can't ask the customer what they want because that's asking them to know what their problem is. And most people don't know what their problems are mm. and to know what the solution is. And most people are not creative enough, not innovative enough to uh, define the solution that they want so yeah. that they're able to tell you what they want. One story that has, has gone around is that Henry Ford, the inventor of the mass produced car, once in his uh, hometown of Dearborn, Michigan, which was not far from where I grew up in Detroit, went out and asked people, uh, would you like to have a car? And people said, no, I don't want a car. I just want a faster horse. (laughs) Innovation at its finest. (laughs) If he he had bothered to just sit on the stoop of a saloon in Dearborn, and I think there was a lot of them back then, Mm. it was a 
large Polish community, which of which I'm Polish, so or part Polish, so I can understand that. He would have noticed people galloping and whipping their horses to move them or their little carriage faster. Yeah. Um, and then if he had, uh, if the internet existed back then, and there's a lot of talk about using big data and analytics in order to define what our products ought to be, uh, he would have done a keyword search because people use keywords to search for solutions to the problems they have. And if he said, all right, how many people uh, back, what was this, around 1903 or something like that, how many people are searching for cars? And they would have found nobody searching for cars or is uh, the automobiles. How many people search for automobiles? Nobody would have been searching for them. So therefore, these this maze of roads and traffic of these big parking lots are just a, an illusion mm-hmm. because nobody thought that they had a, uh, a need for a car or for a, an automobile back then. And it could not be detected by big data or analytics, which oh. is the honest thing right now. So um, what I uh, encourage uh, people that are thinking of developing a product or a service, a product is something tangible, a service is an intangible product, is to go out and observe what it is that people and or companies are doing. And then try to figure out why they're doing that, how they're doing it, where they're doing it, when they're doing it, what's standing in their way, how important is doing it to them and how satisfied are they with the current solution yeah so the example of that is the caveman or cave woman many many years ago wanted to put something down on something that other people could look at and have their message transmitted so they found that if they took some charcoal from their fire and they scratched on the stones in their cave that uh, it would stick around for a while and people would could could read it uh, but then they noticed their hands got really dirty and they didn't like that idea. So they wrapped that charcoal in, in wood and they called it a pencil. And then they noticed the pencil kept wearing down and that was a pain. So they decided to take a duck uh, feather and stick it in a bottle of ink. And uh, the, uh, the uh, what do they call that? Got the quill. The quill was invented. And that was kind of messy because usually you would spill your ink all over whatever you're writing, and that was not fun. So somebody invented the ballpoint pen, but you could only write as fast as you could with a ballpoint pen. So somebody borrowed from Gutenberg's notion and, and invented a typewriter uh, from the printing press and then the electric typewriter and then dedicated word processors, the word processes that are generic everywhere from your PC to your iPad to your iPhone. Fine. And everyone's doing the same thing, except through innovation, they figured out ways to do things faster, better, quicker, or like in the case of an Apple Watch, Apple Watch doesn't do much more than tell you what time it is. Well, it does it has some health uh, monitoring benefits and other things like that. Um, but um, the, the, the uh, Apple did the Apple Watch with style. So even rich and famous people had to brag about having their fancy $10,000 Apple watches and everybody else had to, had to copy that. Yeah. So the key is going out and observing what it is that your customer wants to do. And from that extrapolating it through interviews and surveys. And mm. if you take the three to six calendar months, one to two uh, people months worth of effort to do that, uh, and you identify 15 unmet needs uh, that no other product or service is resolving, that's when the window of opportunity opens up for your product. And then okay. when those 15 unmet needs are being satisfied by most everyone, 
you convert to what the Boston Consulting Group calls a cash cow. You keep lowering your price and, and, and milk some uh, more and more profits out of your product. Yeah, absolutely. So and you mentioned, so you mentioned it just briefly before. Um, so it's the five keys uh, to, to customer success. And that is that you've created this model called SPICE. So strategy is is obviously the first part of that. And um, and I always say strategy is your opportunity to be unique. And, and because it's funny to me how many people go, what is a strategy? Like, how do I create a strategy? I'm like, do you know how to create a plan? They're like, yeah. I say, so you can create a strategy. It's just your opportunity to do it differently. But I love the concept of observation. When I do customer experience consulting, one of the key uh, activities that is part of my consulting process is what I call operational observation. So depending on my customer, you know, I've got uh, building customers, I'll go out on site, I'll strap on the hard, uh, you know, uh, the boots and the polo shirt and go out on site and look like a tradie for the day. And it's quite funny because initially people, the customers, my customers will be like, so you're just going to watch us. I'm like, mm, <laughs> yeah. And they're like, just just watching us. Like we're paying you to watch us. I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah. And it's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the way Procter Gamble has been developing products for over 150 years. And this profession of a product manager, or as like I mentioned earlier, a product success manager, came from brand management at Procter & Gamble in 1932. Right. Uh, but this whole getting at understanding what it is that your customer wants to do is just the first part of 32 parts of a product market strategy. Mm. And strategy as a word is interchangeable with the word plan plan or strategy, strategy or plan. And then some of the components of the rest of that is to do your market research, your uh, customer research, your competitive research, uh, identifying your markets, which is an amalgamations of the personas that you define yeah. for the thing that people want to do. And then your market segments and then your target markets and your total available market, your market penetration strategy. And with all of that, you put together your positioning strategy, which is the platform for all of your messages messaging when you get to the marketing and sales and key selling points and that type of thing. And then you can develop the value proposition for your product, yeah. then your distribution and trading strategy, your pricing strategy, and then you can calculate your return on investment. And now all of that together is your product market strategy. Yeah. And that's described in detail in my Wiley book. And, and it is really probably no great shock then listening to all of the activities that you need to take into account uh, to even consider yourself having a strategy, a, a, a rounded out strategy. Um, it's no surprise then that there's so many products on the market that fail because the likelihood is that they haven't done that due diligence. They haven't gone and put that effort into the experience that would lead them to then have, you know, a solid product out on the market. And it probably is no great shock if that's the case. So that's what the S stands for, strategy. Uh, the P stands for a process mm. where you're following a framework uh, and, a, and a repeatable process so that you can get to a mature process to increase the chances of uh, success. 
And uh, one company I was consulting with, uh, the uh, vice president uh, was there. They had five product failures in a, in a row. And he said the lack of a process resulted in a culture of blame where one of the uh, each of the people involved in the product uh, development and marketing and strategy blamed everybody else for the failure of the product. So we got to have a process. And then I is information, having the information available to make the decisions. And a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and startups and even big companies say we don't have time to do the strategy, for example. We have to rush the market as fast as we possibly can. And when you do that, that's also a rush uh, to failure. Mm. So have the information available to make the decision. The C stands for the customer, and that's what I talked about earlier, understanding what the customer is and what they want to do. And the E stands for having the skill sets and the competencies necessary uh, for the company to be successful, for the product to be successful. And there's about 130 skill sets or competencies that an organization must have or the chances of product success are significantly reduced. Wow. And it's so interesting, like when you talk about process, I have, that is probably one of the biggest downfalls of so many of the the people that I work with, the clients that I have when I get in there and I, I say, okay, so where are your processes? What's your process? How do you, how do you make sure that everybody knows what to do, when to do it, how to do it, why they should do it? And they're like, oh, we don't have that. We just know. I'm like, no, <laughs> God, cry, like internal tears, because I know it's not a sexy thing to do. I know it's a rigorous and quite dull activity to create processes. But the reality is that you are not leaning into customer su- success without them because you are creating an unstable platform for your customers and employees to to try and work through. Exactly. It's so fascinating. What's your, I mean, when it comes to doing unsexy jobs, like things that you know you have to do them, but it's just no fun. What's your your take on like what gets you through uh, kind of going, okay, I'm just going to get it done? What's your motivation? Well, understanding the importance of whatever it is that has to be done that I don't like to do uh, for success. Yeah. Then the uh, desire to ignore it or not do it goes away very rapidly. (laughs) And I do think that is such a common um, issue, though, that they don't understand why it is an important part of the success matrix. They don't actually see the benefit until they have it And I'll tell you a funny story. Even I had to eat my own words not long ago. I produce, I, you know, I create these podcasts and I produce them in the back end and I release them out to the world. And I thought to myself recently, I should probably uh, follow my own um, advice and write a process document on how all of this works. And it was hilarious. One of my clients rang my uh, rang me up one day and she said, what are you doing? You sound distracted. I said, oh, I'm trying to write this process document for producing the podcast. I don't even need it though. I know it all off the back of my head, right? No problem. I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm just doing it to tick a box. I'm not even joking. That same afternoon, I went to produce 
a podcast. I completely ignored the process document, went and did it however it was claiming to be known in the back of my head and got it all wrong. I had to go back and read through the process document to figure out what I'd done wrong. I was like, oh, my God, I am my own best case study. <laughs> uh, very much so. I um, I learned to fly uh, when I was uh, 16 years old. And uh, when after I started the flying club at Michigan, I became a flight instructor. And we teach and, and know the importance of a checklist before you uh, – a checklist of – what to inspect on the outside of the airplane and on the engine before you get in the plane, a checklist that covers everything from making sure that your wheels up lights, uh, that wheels down lights are working properly, uh, to where the position of the flaps are, to making sure your seatbelt is on and so forth. All very uh, important. <laughs> yeah. A, ma a major cause of aircraft accidents is failure to follow the process, a failure to follow the checklist. Hmm. So I, uh, uh, one of my largest clients is uh, uh, a company called Cisco, uh, and I've trained about half of all their product managers worldwide over the last 10 years. Wow. And right now we're teaching all of the classes on WebEx. And I put together a 25-point checklist of things I have to do before I start the class. Like, for example, uh, I have uh, a Macintosh and Apple Mail and to make fun of AOL, where you used to get this uh, uh, little, you know, notice that you've got mail. Uh, I recorded my voice to say, I've got mail. Well, <laughs> first uh, two or three classes I'm teaching, all of a sudden I'm starting to get email and people are saying, what, what are you talking about? You've got mail. What, what's going on? So little things like that. Uh, that you add things to that you forgot before. Uh, mm. So for sure. Uh, even today, when I go to a, a San Francisco 49ers football game, where's that thing right there? Um, I have a checklist of about 15 things to go through to make sure I don't forget the tickets and I have a credit card so I could buy enough beer. Uh, you know, priorities. Uh, I like your priorities, David. Yeah, uh, then I got my hat and I, I have a bottle of water, you know, on and on and on. Otherwise, you get to the game and you're freezing to death because you forgot to bring a jacket. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Processes are, you know, for everyone listening, if you don't have processes in place, even if you work alone, please don't underestimate the imperativeness of having good governance, good processes, because one day sooner than you might think, you know, you might be in a position where those processes are what's going to to save you. And, and even to the point where, you know, this Thursday, um, I've got a, a new team member starting with me. So having those processes in place now means that I can much, much uh, more easily transfer my knowledge onto a new person and help them uh, create a successful experience as well. So, you know, don't underestimate what a good process can do for your business. But also I, I am a avid advocate for customer and employee experience. And so I want to just touch a little bit more on the C and the E in that SPICE uh, catalyst kind of model. What, what does the C and the E actually, uh, I know it's customer and employee, but what, what is the part that they play in that customer success? 
Well, the case of the customer is the thing that I talked about extensively earlier, understanding what it is your customer wants to do, why they want to do it, when they want to do it, where they want to do it, how they want to do it, how important is getting that thing done, and how satisfied are they with the current solution. For the employee, the 130 competencies or skill sets is uh, you got to make sure that you've got a training plan uh, along with an assessment of the skill sets of your employees, what skill sets you need to build up and then have them lined up over the next year to take the classes and have the experiences necessary to improve their uh, experience and, and those skill sets and those competencies. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I, I don't know about uh, business in um, in Australia or businesses elsewhere in the world, but in the United States, um, the, one of the first things CEOs cut is their training programs, their learning and development, whatever yeah, there's a doubt. And they do that because it goes back to following Alfred Sloan from General Motors' notion of a balance sheet and a profit and loss statement, that uh, they view uh, training of their employees as a cost, and that reduces the profitability of the business in the short term, which affects their stock price, which affects their bonuses of their uh, their, their uh, stock allocations. Mm. But in the long term, the training, like uh, Cisco has a learning and development department, and they give each employee a certain amount of money each quarter and insist that their employee go spend it to improve their skill sets. Yeah. Even if they don't stay with Cisco, they don't care because they realize people will look back at what Cisco did for them in their career and always look uh, uh, favorably towards acquiring Cisco uh, products and services in the future. Yeah, uh, HP, done, HP did that. Apple did that. When I was there, I was there with Apple University, uh, just got started, and I was able to graduate from uh, Apple University. So uh, that's very important. In fact, when the United States uh, military decided to invade um, Kuwait. Uh, they went out into the desert there of, uh, of Saudi Arabia, and they trained for six months before they actually did the invasion. Wow. So the military, military spends most of their time training and in exercises, knowing full well the importance of training. Yeah. Uh, Many businesses spend very little time training, and then they wonder why their employees don't have the skill sets necessary to make sure that the money they've invested in their products uh, is invested wisely and they're successful. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I've uh, I've recently been doing a little bit of work with uh, contact centers over in the U.S., and it seems to be a very... Um, common consistent concern that it's all about the balance sheet and all about the profit and loss and they treat their contact centers like a cost center rather than a support function and uh, so you know when money has to be cut it comes out of that support function and there's you know the training gets cut and therefore the customer experience becomes you know abominable and the employee experience becomes even worse because to be honest, you know, no one goes to work wanting to be abused, but at the same time, we don't go to work trying to do a bad job in most cases, but we do a bad job because we're not trained appropriately. So and also, the incentives aren't there to uh, focus on just customer satisfaction. Mm. Uh, Apple has said that if we just take care of the customer and before that HP did the same thing, 
uh, customer is king, then the bottom line, the profits of the company will take care of itself by itself. Uh, for many years, um, I always wondered about uh, Microsoft. Uh, only in Microsoft Windows, you go to start in order to stop the computer. Now, how <laughs> illogical is that? And, and, uh, and, and you open up Excel because you're on a deadline to get some spreadsheet done and it insists on downloading an update which takes 15 or 20 minutes so then of course it crashes and you have to reboot your computer all over and that takes uh, you know the normal microsoft position is reboot um, so you know that that epitomized the brand of, of the company and of the product and uh, that is usually summarized in a tagline for the company. So I always said that Microsoft should adopt the tagline, helping more people feel more stupid than any other company in the world. <laughs> they did the other week. They actually, uh, they, they succeeded in making me feel like an idiot. I spent five hours thinking I'd been locked out of my laptop and I was putting in my password and it refused to accept my password. And after a whole lot of frustration, I finally plugged in an external keyboard and everything worked fine. I was so confused and it turned out that I had somehow hit function and number lock. And oh, so and so you were putting in caps at the time, but you didn't know like otherwise. My whole yeah. laptop just decided if I if I pressed a letter, it would come up with a number and if I it was just a mess. <laughs> I was so furious. <laughs> Five hours wasted. Well, in the mid two thousands, um, I would uh, I was doing a lot of video production, which put a lot of burden on the PC. Yeah, and oh, I know. I would, the feeling. Call, I would call Microsoft up and uh, uh, get, finally get a hold of their support department, and they would want me to pay them two hundred dollars to tell me that I found one of their bugs that it, <laughs> that they already knew. About. Now that's a business model. <laughs> yeah, well, they they view that as a profit center at that time. Now, I have to give them credit. They've gotten a lot better over the last five years, but I don't care. I've moved on from as many Microsoft products you can, as possible. You can tell so, you're an Apple man through and through now. <laughs> and uh, look, look at the quality of Skype ever since Microsoft adopted it. Oh, uh, we don't use Skype. Someone asked Skype me the other day, do you use Skype? I was like, does anybody use Skype? Yeah, it used to dominate the uh, <laughs> communications medium. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, the, the the key there is having empathy for your customer. And if you take care of your customer, your customer will take care of you and your bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, H I call that the joy of sex. Can you see behind me? The joy of sex? Yeah. So the customer, the employee, and the human experience. Yeah. I like sex. Yep, I love I love sex and I love I love helping businesses have great sex. And that is ultimately what that is. If you take care of the human behind, you know, behind the issue, then then they will take care of you in return. But uh well, you can oh, we've got to get so up. many other pieces correct before we get to that point, really. I mean, we've got the strategy, we've got the process, we've got the information, then you need to take care of the customer. But Above all, that doesn't mean anything unless you've got your employees on board as well. David, that is such a fantastic model and I love a good model and so I'm so thrilled that we got to learn all about it from, from you, the expert yourself, and um, thank you so much. That's brilliant. You're welcome.
Now, if any of this, which I'm sure all of it, has made your head just explode inside a little bit, uh, makes you want to learn more, which I can't blame you because it is fascinating stuff, um, you can head to valuedrivenbrand.com forward slash podcast series. And uh, after you hear this, go down to the website and you will be able to find all of the links uh, to David's books, which are Well, some of them are thick, but they are crazy informative. And who else to learn, who better to learn from than the man himself that put, you know, technology on the map and changed the way we did computing. Uh, But also you will also have access to get in touch with David as well as finding out about some of the courses that he runs, helping businesses create Uh, business success using the SPICE model. And I tell you what, it has been so fascinating to learn all about the components of SPICE. And it really is, as you say, the catalyst to business success, isn't it? Yes, it is. Now, before I let you go, you might not be aware of this, and it's actually going to be very interesting (laughs) because I've already looked this up a little and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit stuck. But with all of our guests that join me on the Value Driven Brand Podcast, I ask them in the profile form that they fill out for me to tell me what is the one song that gets them pumped up for anything. Now, do you remember what you told me, David? Nope. (laughs) No? I will remind you, it is the Michigan Wolverines fight song. (laughs) Yeah. Now... Curiously enough, what I do is I put everybody's contribution into a uh, specially curated Spotify playlist that is also available uh, where on valuedrivenbrand.com forward slash podcast series. So where you find the video and all of the ways to contact David, you'll also find this playlist. And generally what I do is I put everybody's contribution into that playlist and it is essentially this wonderfully eclectic playlist that I always tell people, if you can't get pumped up after listening to this uh, playlist, you need to start again, go back to bed, have a bit of a nap, and try try a second time because I think there might be something wrong with your heart if you can't get pumped up. But <laughs> the problem that I might have is I can't find this on Spotify. Really? I'll, I'll email it to you. Oh, I'm so excited. That is brilliant. <laughs> so by the, time, by the time this goes live, you will be It's better than Billie Eilish. Pardon? It's better than Billie Eilish. Ooh, ooh, that's <laughs> fighting words. That is a fight song. I like it. I like it a lot. I can't wait. So in lieu of me being able to find it, it will be available on the Spotify playlist. So when you go and check out the video and all of the ways to contact David and learn about the books and the courses that he has available to help you create the spice in your business, you can also download the playlist and get pumped up for anything. That is so exciting. I'm very, very thrilled. I want to hear it now. I can't wait to hear it. I was about to go and Google it, and then I was like, no, I'm going to be patient. <laughs> I'll be patient. I'll uh, I'll hear it when it gets sent through to me. 
But, David, that is it from us today. Thank you so, so much for joining us from all the way over in the US. It is so appreciated. Glad to be with you. Thank you. Now, that is it from us today. And uh, until next time, please go out and create value for somebody else in your life because, as we know, what goes around comes around. I'm Aileen Day. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Value Driven Brand Podcast with your host, Aileen Day. Is your business struggling to become known as the sought-after leader in your industry? Access our Value Driven Brand Quiz and special three-part podcast series to identify the gaps and what you need to focus on first. Go to www.valuedrivenbrand.com forward slash podcast series. That's valuedrivenbrand.com forward slash podcast series. Tune in next time where we discuss more ideas on how you can deliver your own value-driven brand.